Oh, you can do a little bit better than that. Good morning. There we go. My name is Dan, and uh, as we mentioned already, you guys, have, many of you have already gone by our table and, and got a prayer card. There's also some games and things from Nicaragua, all of the things that are on that table. We purchased while we were there on our survey trip, and before we get to the message this morning, just like kind of like to share a little bit about how God called us to Nicaragua. Uh, my wife and I were both, uh, she, my wife's from Virginia, I was from Florida, and uh, we both grew up in Christian homes. We were saved at a young age, and really just being in church, we just had a desire to do something for the Lord. We were exposed to the gospel, we were exposed to, to missions and, and Christian service in different areas, and so we both, after our salvation, were desiring to do something for God. We just didn't know exactly what that would be. Uh, I grew up in a church that loved missionaries, and so we would have missions conference, and when the missionaries would come in, I loved going by their table, and uh, I loved playing with all their toys, and probably I, there's a few that I broke and, <laughs> as I was playing with their toys, and, but wherever the missionary was from, that's where I would tell people that I was going to be a missionary too. So if we were having church and there was a missionary to Australia, then that next week, I was going to be a missionary to Australia. If they were going to somewhere else, then I was, that's where I was going to go. I just loved, uh, before we had the missionary videos, I don't know, maybe some of you remember the missionaries, when they would come in, they would click through and they would have the slideshow, and you'd hear the, the machine click and turn and spin and the big projector up there, and they would talk about their countries, and I just loved everything to do with missions. I loved the, the tables, I loved the videos, the slides. Uh, it was around fourth grade uh, when I first learned about missions giving, and that's when I first started, and, and it wasn't a big amount, it was about a quarter a week. That was my commitment to God, and so uh, I began giving a quarter a week in fourth grade, and the Lord just used many of those things in my life to give me a desire and a burden for missions. I didn't know if that's what God would call me to do, but I just knew I loved it. I knew I loved the, the thought of going to another place and traveling and, and seeing another area. And so during my high school years, I went on missions trips. I was able to go to Brazil and Puerto Rico. Um, when we got to, once I graduated, went to Bible college, it's where I met Heather. And uh, as we began to date and talk, uh, I was far more interested in her than she was in me <laughs> in the beginning, that's for sure. Uh, she actually at one point told me it was never going to happen. She's like, just stop trying, it's never going to happen. So, you know, I did the next logical thing, and I went and called my mom and said, what do I do? <laughs> and uh, she just said, just keep being her friend. And you know what? She, it was good advice. It worked. Um, but uh, as we began to date and talk, she, she would ask me, she said, well, you know, you're here in Bible college, what, what do you think God wants you to do? And as I began to explain to her that I felt God was calling me into missions, the next logical question was, uh, well, where? <laughs> you know, she, she wanted to, before she invested too much in this relationship, she wanted to see, well, where is this, where is this going? And uh, as I told her, I said, honestly, I really don't know. That was my answer. I, I really wasn't sure. I knew God was leading towards missions. I'd surrendered to missions, but I didn't know exactly where. And it was about my junior year of Bible college that I first heard about Nicaragua. And at that time, I really didn't know anything about the country. I didn't know anything about uh, where it was or anything about the geography uh, as far as I knew it was somewhere maybe in Central America. Uh, but as I began to, to hear about Nicaragua and see the need in that country, it's a very uh, war-torn country in the sense of a uh, very recent civil war. And even since that, since their civil war back in the 80s, they still have constant civil unrest. There's a lot of uh, turmoil in that area. And so because of that, missionaries have in the past gone down. And then when, when, when these wars start up, they're having to flee the country. And then so you have these churches that missionaries go in with good intentions and even nationals go in with good intentions of, of planting these, these gospel Bible preaching churches. And then when the, when the turmoil comes, when the fighting comes and people have to flee, then, then nobody goes back. And so you have a lot of the, these areas areas that uh, maybe at some point in the past there was a gospel preaching church, but uh, there's not anymore. And so as we went, I had the first opportunity to go 
in 2013, I had surrendered to God to Nicaragua. I prayed for about six months, and I said, God, is it Nicaragua? And he finally, one night, the pastor was preaching from Acts 16, and where Paul says in verse number 10 that he assuredly gathered that the Lord had called him for to preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. I told the Lord, I said, God, that night, I said, God, I assuredly gather that you're calling us to preach the gospel in Nicaragua. And that night I surrendered to him. I said, God, I'm going to do this. This is as, as long as you will allow, this is what I believe you're calling me to do. And after I surrendered, it was amazing how the Lord just brought so many different circumstances. He allowed me to go on my first trip to Nicaragua in 2013, a country of 6.5 million people, um, town after town that we went to that just doesn't have a gospel preaching church. It doesn't have anybody there teaching them. Uh, there's lots of other, uh, I can't say that there's no churches in Nicaragua, um, and, but I can say that there's not very many churches that are teaching people the truth about what God says in his word. The, the truth about the, that you can have salvation through Christ. You can have salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And uh, there's lots of churches that teach lots of different things. Um, I'm not here to, to, to talk bad about any other religion or any other church, but what I do know is that there's a country full of people that believe that they have to do good works in order to get to heaven. That their entire hope, they would say they believe in God, they would say they believe in the Bible, but, but their entire philosophy is as long as I give enough money to the church, as long as I go to the right church, as long as I get it baptized enough times, then I'll be okay. And hopefully I'll be okay. There's really no real hope. And so our desire is to go into these places, to go into these cities, uh, town after town that I could show you on a map, uh, Esteli, Chinandega, over 100,000 people, and there's nobody there preaching the gospel. And I'm not just talking about an independent Baptist church. I'm talking about nobody that's even preaching what the truth of what the Bible says. And so we, uh, 2013 went the first time. Uh, again, we, uh, Paul also said in Acts 16.10, he said that immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, and that was my heart. I thought, right after Bible college, we're going to go, we're going to start deputation, we're going to get to Nicaragua, uh, but God had different plans, and uh, we ended up serving in a church in Fresno. Uh, initially, I thought, okay, we'll be here for a couple years, then we'll go to Nicaragua. We ended up being there for seven years. I guess the Lord had a lot of things in our hearts that he still had to grow us in, and uh, a lot of areas that he was still working on, and so uh, we were there in Fresno. Some of those pictures you saw were from our ministry there. There in Fresno, and then uh, last May we started full time on deputation. But 2019 was when my wife and I got to go for the first time together to Nicaragua, and the Lord really did a great work in her heart there as she fully surrendered to what God was calling us to do. And we were able to see town after town, like I said, of just nobody preaching the gospel, nobody there telling them about the truth of, of God's word about how they can know Christ as their Savior and restore that relationship with the Father through Christ. And so that's our desire. Our desire is to go into these towns and these areas. It's a Spanish-speaking country. It's a central, typical a Central American country. It's one of the poorest in Central America. Many uh, of the countries down there argue over who's the poorest. Um, but uh, as we visited Honduras and El Salvador and Nicaragua, uh, I can definitely say there's areas where, like you saw in the video, the average income is $2 a day. And so most people in Nicaragua, the average, the average person, literally what they make that day is enough to buy food for that day. And then if they don't go work the next day, then they're not going to eat the next day. And so it's just a day-by-day -day thing. And so our desire is to go, and it's not a desire to go down and do humanitarian works. While that might be needful and helpful in some areas and sometimes, our desire is the, to go and to share the gospel with people that need to be saved, to, to see souls saved, discipled, churches planted, and then go on and do it again somewhere else. And so if you have any questions, please come by our table. We'd love to answer anything uh, you'd like to know about Nicaragua. Um, what we can. Uh, there's some prayer cards there on the back. We'd love for you to grab one of those and uh, be in prayer for us as we seek to uh, raise support and get to the mission field. Our, our goal right now is to be finished. Uh, this, the, by the end of this summer, we'll be finished traveling full-time. 
we'll have a few meetings throughout the fall and the winter, but then primarily we're going to be focused on getting all of our things together and then flying down to Honduras for language school in January of 23. So uh, we're right towards the end of getting everything settled, ready to go, and so we thank you and appreciate your prayers in that area. But uh, this morning, as we open up the Word of God, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. If you would please this morning, Acts chapter number 8. And we're going to look at two verses uh, for our text verses, but then really this morning I'd like to kind of quickly get through this chapter as we focus on the call of God. And the title of the message, if you like to have a title, the title would be to pick up the phone. And thank you, Pastor Shedd, for putting this uh, PowerPoint together. And it's perfect. There's somebody picking up the phone. So that's, uh, it, matches, it matches perfectly. Uh, but uh, to pick up the phone. In Acts chapter number 8, as we look at this, uh, the call of God. What, what is the call of God? Uh, you know, when we think of a call, we think of somebody with their phone, right? Because that's the whole purpose of a phone, is when you try to get a hold of somebody. If you, you need something, you have an emergency, the whole purpose of a phone is so that when you call them, that they would answer and you can accomplish whatever it is that you need to get accomplished. But how many times in our, in our lives has God called us to something, or God is wanting to call us, but we haven't picked up the phone, or we haven't answered. And here in Acts 8, we're going to look at a, a story, a situation, a, a person, really, who, not that he was perfect in every area, but when God called, he answered the phone. When God called him to something, he simply obeyed and did it. And look at verse number 26. Acts 8, verse 26, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that go down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And would you read those first five words of verse number 27 together with me this morning? Ready? Begin. And he arose and went. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we just we thank you for another opportunity to worship you today. God, uh, another opportunity to gather together with your people, Lord, to, uh, to be able to sing together, to be able to give together, to be able to fellowship, Lord. And God, I just pray for everything that's said and done today, Lord, that would be for your honor and your glory. And now as we come to the time of opening up your word this morning and then again this afternoon with these uh, men that are, are going to be preaching. God, I pray that you would help each of us to be open to whatever it is that you have for us today. Lord, as much as each of us that are preaching this morning need to be filled with your spirit, Lord, I pray that every believer in this room this morning would be filled with the spirit so that they would receive what it is that you have for each of us this morning, God, and that we would, whenever you call, whatever the call is about, God, that we would pick up the phone, that we would answer. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, uh, before I went out to California for Bible college, I actually worked, um, I went to a Bible college in Tennessee for a year, and uh, the job that I had there was a landscaping job. And so uh, we were supposed to be going out that day, and we were going to be doing some, uh, mostly primarily what we were doing as the, as the young guys on the, on the team there is uh, the weed eating, so the thing that nobody else wants to do, right? Everybody else gets to ride on the riding mowers, and we were stuck carrying those weed eaters all around. And, and I remember that day, that's what we thought we were going to be doing, but it was pouring down rain. And so the boss decided that instead of going out and uh, really doing some yard work, he was going to have us clean out the barn. And, uh, you know, the job that everybody wanted to do, right, is uh, clean out the barn. And I remember going in there, and he was going to leave to go do a bit on another job, and he had left us there, me and my friend Jamie. And he said, when I get back, I want the barn to be clean. You know, and it was just kind of trash. There was just stuff everywhere. It wasn't organized. And so that was our job for the day. And, uh, you know, we worked really hard for about 10 minutes. 
And then we decided, you know, we deserved a break. You know, it, it's been a good long 10 minutes. We worked really hard. We did enough to make it look like we'd done something, but we really hadn't done anything yet. You know, we picked up the big things. And, uh, and as we were sitting there just kind of uh, fooling around, we noticed that the four-wheeler was in the barn, and we noticed that the key was left in it. So we decided, you know what, let's, let's, we deserve this break. We're going we're gonna to ride the four-wheeler around. The boss is gone. He's not going to be back for a while. We'll have plenty of time to get everything done before he gets back. So we started driving around, and I remember I drove it first, and I jumped off, and my friend Jamie got on, and as he's driving around, uh, all of a sudden, my phone began to ring. And I didn't, even, I didn't even have to pull my phone out of my pocket to know exactly who was calling, well, because nobody else called me to begin with, but I, I knew that it was my boss. I, I just knew. I, I didn't have to look at the phone, and he was calling, and what, what do you think he was calling about? He, he, he wanted to see how the job was going. He wanted to see if we were doing what we were supposed to be doing, and in that moment, as I looked down on my phone, and I knew if I answered the phone, he's going to hear the four-wheeler in the background. And, and all these thoughts are going through my mind. I knew, and I just, I, I just had no desire to answer. I, I didn't want to answer. And, and I knew that if I did answer, uh, I wouldn't even be able to be honest and tell him that, that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. And in that moment, as he was calling me, I, I had no desire to pick up the phone. I had no desire to, to answer. And how many times in our Christian life... Is God trying to get a hold of us? Is God trying to call us? And because of where we're at in our life or because of uh, what activities we're participating in or, or what we're doing or what we're not doing that we should be doing, that when God is calling and God is working and speaking to our hearts, that we just don't want to even want to hear it. That we, we don't even have a desire to pick up the phone. Or how many times have we not even heard the call of God because we're not where we're supposed to be? And that was where I was in that moment. But today we're going to look at Philip, who is an example of every time that God speaks and God works in his life and God calls him, he answers, and he obeys, and he does what it is that God's called him to do. And, uh, you know, as you talk about the call of God, maybe you're like me, and I grew up in church, and, uh, or maybe this is uh, your first day, Sunday in church, or maybe you've been in church for uh, a long time, maybe a short time. But I know as I was in church, I, I remember hearing this phrase, the call of God, and maybe you're like me, and, and I always had the impression that, well, the call of God, that's for the pastor, or the call of God's for the missionary. The call of God is for, you know, somebody that's going to be uh, working in the church. But this morning, I want you to understand, and uh, myself to understand, the call of God is for every believer. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, God is calling you to something. There, there is something that God wants from you. There is something that God wants you to do in service for Him. God is calling you to something, whether that's giving in the church, whether it's serving in the church, um, whether it is maybe going to the mission field, or, uh, or some maybe there's a neighbor that you know God's been working on your heart to witness to, that, that God, you know God's working in your heart, God's calling you. That there's something that God is calling you to do. And this morning I want to look at Philip. And I'll be honest, this morning, even if you're sitting in here and maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, God's calling you to trust His Son today. So everybody that's here today, God is calling us to something. And I don't know what God's calling you to. I can know what God's calling me to, but I can't know what it is for you. Only you know what it is that God is leading you to do. Are you going to pick up the phone? Are you going to answer? As we look back in Acts chapter 8, the first point this morning I want to look at is the precursor to the call. So what is going on, before we ever get to verse number 26, what is going on in the life of Philip and the early church here? And as you look in the beginning of Acts 8 verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And that death, his, that his death there is referring to the death of Stephen. You can go back maybe another time and read Acts chapter number 7 and see the, really the, the murder of Stephen as you read through. All he was doing was preaching the gospel. All he was doing was being a faithful servant of God, preaching to people. He wasn't even an apostle in the church. He was just a deacon. And as he preached, the people got so mad, so upset, 
that the religious leaders and the other men in that city, they literally, the Bible says, as he preached the Bible, as he preached the gospel, they, they stopped up their ears, they covered their ears, they ran on him, gnashed on him with their teeth, they ripped him out of where he was speaking, took him out of the city and stoned him to death, all for preaching the gospel. Not because he was doing anything political, not because he was, uh, you know, just uh, being obnoxious or anything. He was literally just preaching the gospel. And that's how angry these people were, that the gospel was being preached, that Christ was being preached, that they took him out of the city and killed him. And that's where we jump in in, verse number, in chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Persecution that you and I can't even imagine. Not the kind of persecution where, you know, you knock on somebody's door and they, they, they yell at you until you get off their property. This is the kind of persecution where people were scared for their lives. They had just watched one of the leaders in their church be murdered for simply preaching the gospel. And it says that in the middle of chapter 8, verse 1, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, and committed them to prison. So as you look here at this first point, this precursor of the call, you see, uh, really the first thing you see is see the death of Stephen. You know, as Stephen was murdered and killed for preaching the gospel, then you see the destruction of Saul. You know, Saul here, and you study out later on in Acts, after Saul is converted, he trusts Christ, and then uh, he, his name is changed to Paul, and he turns out to be one of the, the, the greatest missionaries going to preach to the Gentiles and seeing many, many thousands even probably saved. But later on in Acts, he talks about some of the things that he did before he was saved as he persecuted the church. He literally was going... Look what it says in verse 3. He said he was wreaking havoc in the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, and committed them to prison. Saul was literally going door to door, asking people, looking in people's houses, trying to find people that claim the name of Christ, that claim to be Christians. He was ripping them from their homes, their families, throwing them into jail and prison. Some of them even killed for their faith. And that was his mission in life was to literally to just to, to torture the church of Christ and find people that were Christians. There was great destruction that was going on. You do see in verse number 2, there were devout saints. It says that devout men carried Stephen to his burial. So there were still many Christians that were doing right, that still loved the Lord, even in spite of this persecution. But ultimately, because of all this going on, we see in verses 3 and 4, a distant scattering. Verse 3 says, As for Saul, made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. And look at that first word of verse number 4. It says, Therefore. That word, therefore, means that because of what you just read in verse number 3, what we're about to say in verse number 4 is as a result of what happened in verse number 3. So the result of Saul wreaking havoc in the church, going house to house, taking men and women, throwing them in prison, because of that, they that were scattered abroad, so those that were torn from their homes and their families and leaving the place that they were from, went everywhere. And if it was, if it was me, I would expect that, that next word to say that they went everywhere and hid. Or they went everywhere and complained about how bad they had it in Jerusalem. Or they went everywhere and just talked about how, how terrible the persecution was. But that's not what it says. It says that because of that, therefore, they that were scattered abroad, that left their homes, their families, their jobs, went everywhere preaching the word. Their persecution produced more preaching. The very thing that they were being persecuted for 
they continued to do in spite of the persecution. And as they went down now, and we're going to see that as they're scattered abroad, uh, the, really what happens is because of the persecution, they continue to preach the word. Instead of getting bitter and angry and upset about all the terrible things that are happening, they just continue to preach Christ. They just continue to go out. And like I said, this is... Con- persecution that me, you and I really can't even imagine. There are places in the world that are in, enduring to persecution like this, but, but as they're going out, they continue to preach the word. They had the testimony that everywhere they went, they just preached Christ. Wherever, in spite of what was going on, in spite of how difficult it was, in spite of how uh, much, really, persecution they could face, or even death or prison, they continued to preach Christ. They, they had the testimony of preaching Christ everywhere they went. Uh, I was talking to Brother John yesterday because he saw that I had an Ohio State license plate on the front of our car because I'm a big Ohio State fan, Ohio State Buckeyes, and uh, he's obviously not, uh, and he wasn't very happy about that. Uh, but, you know, we have these things that we like to talk about. I like to fish. I- I'll talk about fishing. I'll talk about uh, football. I'll talk about all kinds of things, but do we have the testimony like these people that in spite of all the difficulties that were going on, not that the, all those other things we can't talk about at times, but these people, their testimony was not about talking about sports. It wasn't talking about politics. It wasn't talking about all these other things going on. Their testimony was they went everywhere preaching the word. That's literally what they were known for. They were categorized as somebody that they went everywhere just preaching the word. We don't even know all their names. We don't know all their occupations, where they were from. But we do know that even in spite of this great persecution, they went everywhere preaching the word. And so that's what's going on. This is the, the, the precursor of the call, the, what's going on before God calls Philip later on in, in chapter 8. This is what he's dealing with. This is the persecution he's facing. This is his friends and families that are now, all of them, scattered. And we're going to look at next the place of the call. Number two, look at verse five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. I'm just going to tell you now, every time you see the name of Philip, every time you see his name in Scripture, almost every single time what follows is that he was preaching Christ to somebody. <laughs> Whether he was here in Samaria or down to the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert or even later on in other city after city, every time you see the name of Philip, he's doing something for God. He, he's preaching Christ. And this is the place of the call. It's the place of Samaria. It's about 50 miles from Jerusalem. So now you have to imagine these people that are scattered from their homes. They've left their families, their jobs, their, their places where they're comfortable. They're now down in the city of Samaria, 50 miles away, a few days' journey on foot from where they're from. And as they're now down in the city of Samaria, understand this wasn't a comfortable place for them to be because the Jews and the Samaritans absolutely could not stand each other to the point of hate, hating each other and prejudice towards each other. But now, as the gospel has changed these people's lives, as they've now been scattered because of the persecution, they've gone down into Samaria, and instead of just being bitter about all the things that have happened, and instead of being angry and upset that now they're stuck with a bunch of Samaritans who they didn't really like, the gospel had changed their lives, and now you know what they do as they get down to Samaria? They just preach Christ unto the Samaritans. Hey, you know, it's too, we, we can't preach Christ in Jerusalem because we've been kicked out of our homes. We've been persecuted to the point that we had to flee for our lives. So now when we're down in Samaria, we're just going to keep preaching Christ. And this place of Samaria, it was a, it was a place of security. You don't, you don't see the persecution there in Samaria. Actually, it's, a, it's even a place of celebration. As you look down, look at verse 8. It says, and there was great joy in that city. As people were getting saved, as the gospel was changing lives, as, as these believers had now been scattered and gone down into Samaria, it had turned into a place of celebration because people are getting saved and their lives are being changed. And there's now unity in the city of Samaria. There's joy in the city of Samaria, all because of the gospel, 
All because people were trusting Christ. In verse 12, it says, uh, even it says, But they, when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. It's just a, an exciting place, a place of salvation, a place of celebration. But notice verse 25. It's a place of sending. And verse 25 is an interesting verse because it was a verse that I'd, I'd read over many times, but I'd never really thought about. Verse 25 says, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. You know what they realized as they'd gone down to Samaria? They said, there's, there's Samaritans back in Jerusalem that we haven't preached the gospel to. There was people right across the street that as they'd gone down into Samaria because of the persecution, they'd preached the gospel. Now there's great joy in that city. People are being saved. It's an exciting time. And what they realized, said, yeah, we had to come all the way 50 miles down here to, to preach to these Samaritans only to realize that there's Samaritans back home that we haven't even preached to yet. There's people that still need to be saved right across the street. And you can kind of equate that to, you know, missions work as we think about going around the world. And, yeah, there's people in Nicaragua that need to be saved. There's people in Europe that need to be saved. There's people in Asia that need to be saved. But you understand, there's people right across the street from you that need to be saved. You don't have to go around the world to find somebody that needs Christ. Uh, and even increasingly more and more so as, a, as our world gets farther and farther from the Lord, you understand that uh, even in places where you would think that everybody knows about God, Everybody believes in God. Everybody has heard the gospel. I'm telling you, more and more places that we go, whether it's in the south where you think there's a, there's a Baptist church on every corner, there's kids that are growing up in homes and in places that have only heard the name of Christ as a swear word. They don't know who Adam and Eve are. They don't know who Noah is or, or Moses is. They haven't heard the Bible stories. We're, we're surrounded by people who we just sometimes get in the, in the habit of assuming, well, well, they know about God. If they wanted to be saved, they would have, they would have done it by now. Instead of us doing what it is that God's called us to do and just telling people. And these people now, as they're down in Samaria, we see that it's a place of sending as they go back up into Jerusalem and, and more people are getting saved. But I want to notice number three, the, the person of the call. As of now we get specifically into Philip and who he was. When God called Philip, you got to understand, God called him after he was already doing something for the Lord. When God calls Philip in verse number 26, you understand he's already been serving God? He's already been preaching in Jerusalem. That's why he was being persecuted. He was already preaching down in uh, um, Samaria. An entire city is getting saved and, and being changed because of the gospel. And now when God calls him specifically, he hears the angel of the Lord call him and tell him to go to the specific place. It's after he's already serving. He wasn't just sitting around waiting for God to call him to do something. When we think about the call of God, you understand there are some things in, the, in, the, in our Christian life that we don't have to pray about whether we should do or not. You know, uh, I told you that I prayed about whether God was calling me to Nicaragua. That would be more of something like a specific call. But do you know that there's a general call of God on the life of every believer? And God will never call you to a specific call if we're not already obeying the general call. If we're not already obeying the things that we already know that God has called us to do, uh, turn your Bibles over to um, Matthew chapter number 4. When God called Philip, it was after he was already serving and I can't tell you how many times in my life, I wish I would have understood this, even as a, as a teenager, as a, as a young man, even in Bible college, because there's so many times that I wasted time just sitting around waiting and said, all right, God, what is it you want me to do next? When I'm not even obeying what it is that God has already called me to do. Uh, God, God, Paul said it like this, the Lord has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God is going to call somebody that's already doing what it is they're supposed to be doing. You're in Matthew chapter number four. Look at verses uh, 18 and 20. In Matthew 4, this is where Christ is calling out his disciples. And verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. 
And look at that last phrase there. What does it say? It says, for they were what? So why were they casting their net in the sea? What was their job? They were fishermen. You might say, well, well duh. <laughs> but do you understand, when Jesus called them to be fishers of men, it was after they were already being faithful fishers of fish. Jesus didn't call somebody that was just sitting being lazy on the side of the, on the, side of the beach, that was just waiting for, all right, I'm just going to wait until somebody comes along and asks me to do something. He called people that were already serving. He called people that were already doing the job that they'd been given. That was their occupation, that before Jesus ever called them to be disciples, they were already being faithful in the job they'd been given. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Amos says in Amos 7, he said, I was, neither was I a prophet nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and the Lord called me, as I followed the flock. Amos says, God called me because my job was being a herdsman. He called me as I followed the flock. He called me when I was already doing what I was supposed to be doing. And how much time do we wait, waste in our Christian lives waiting for, all right, God, who are you going to call me to witness to today? Instead of just finding people to witness to. Or instead of wasting time and saying, God, all right, where is it that you want me to serve? Or where is it that you want me to do? Instead of just doing what it is he's already given us. You understand, as much as I need to know that God has called me and my family to go to Nicaragua, that God has called you to your job. God has called you to your family. God has called you to your church. God has called you and placed you here for a purpose. It wasn't just by accident that you came across Calvary Baptist Church. It wasn't an accident that you ended up in the family that you were in. It wasn't an accident that you live in the house with the neighbors that you have. God called you there. God placed you there. And are we serving and doing what it is? I'll give you the, uh, an example from my perspective. Yes, God's called me to Nicaragua, but you guys might notice this. I'm not in Nicaragua right now. I'm here. So right now, this week, God has called me here. I, I, yes, God's called me to Nicaragua, and I can, I can uh, work to get there, and that's where I'm going. But I can't wait to Nicaragua to tell people about Jesus. I've got to tell people about Jesus where I am now. And if I'm not serving where I am now and doing what I'm supposed to be doing where I am now, God's never going to lead me on to something else if I'm not already doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that was the kind of man that Philip was. That was the person of the call. Uh, if you go back to Acts 8. We'll finish out the story this morning, but Acts, uh, Philip was actually one of the first deacons in Acts chapter number 6. Uh, he was, already had that testimony of being uh, someone that God could use. He, he had already been doing what it was that he was supposed to be doing. He had that track record of obedience. Um, in chapter 8, we'll read through the rest of this call of God in verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, under the way that go down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Notice just Philip was willing to go immediately. As soon as God called, he was willing to travel. He had already gone down to Samaria, possibly even uh, part of the group that had gone back up to Jerusalem. And now God calls him to go somewhere else. And notice that in verse 26, when God called him to something, he didn't give him any specific location. He said, go to the way that goes south from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. He says, here's a place. He's like, basically what he tells me, he's like, I want you to go this direction on this road. He didn't tell him, I want you to go. We know that he's going to go witness to the Ethiopian eunuch, but that's not what God told him to do. God didn't say, I'm going to have you go this direction at this time of day. I'm going to have you witness to this man right here at this time, this place. This is what he's going to look like. He didn't give him any of that. He said, go down to the way that goes south from Jerusalem to Gaza. And oh, yeah, by the way, if that wasn't, uh, you know, general enough, it's a desert. <laughs> you're going to leave Samaria, which is a place where all these people are getting saved. And you're going to go down to a desert place. It wasn't a, a beautiful place. It was a place in the middle of the desert. And he was going to have him go. And he didn't get him anything specific. But yet yeah, Philip still went. You don't see Philip questioning God and said, well, why do you want to go there? Well, well, who is it that I'm supposed to be witnessing to there? He said, why, why would I leave Samaria when all these people are getting saved? He just simply obeys. God calls, verse 27, and he arose and went. 
And behold, now we're going to look at number four, the purpose of the call. Verse 27, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, and eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Notice that, first of all, Philip heard the Holy Spirit. He hadn't quenched the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit spoke, he, he heard the Holy Spirit. And then as soon as what, what the Holy Spirit said to do, verse 29, look at verse 30, and Philip ran thither to him. How many times in my life have I heard the Holy Spirit say, hey, why don't you give a track to that person? And instead of just running and doing it, I justify why I can't do it. Or I think about all the reasons why, no, they don't want to hear this. They're just going to be mad. They're going to be upset. I could give you too many illustrations to even uh, to think about times where it's just, uh, instead of just obeying the Holy Spirit. Now, praise the Lord, there's been often where I've been able to just obey the Holy Spirit. But how many times do we try to justify and, and tell the Holy Spirit, no, this is why we can't do this. This is why I can't do that. This is why I can't surf here. This is why uh, I can't give that much money. This is why I can't uh, witness to that person. This is why I can't, I can't get saved. To, whatever the thing is, when Philip heard the Holy Spirit, he simply just said yes to the Holy Spirit. He had that opportunity here. And understand this. God didn't have to use Philip. God could have used somebody else to reach the Ethiopian eunuch. But yet, because Philip said yes, because Philip answered the call, because Philip was in a, a position where he spiritually was doing what he was supposed to be doing, and that when God called, he answered, he was able to be used of God, of God. He had the blessing of being able to be used of God, not because he was anything special, but because he just simply said yes. Do you want to be used of God? Do you want God to call and, and place a call in your life and to use you? Well, this is the example of Philip. Verse 30, And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, Isaiah 53. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? Do you think it was an accident that Philip crossed paths with this Ethiopian eunuch at the exact time that he was reading, not only that he was reading in Isaiah, not only that he was reading in the, the portion of Scripture of where we call Isaiah 53, but yet at that exact moment, understand what God had already been doing in the life of the eunuch. Philip didn't have to make sure he was in the right place at the right time. He just said yes to the Lord, and God worked out all the details. God made sure that he was in the right place at the right time. And, and this wasn't an accident that the eunuch would call Philip up. This was a man of great authority. He was a man who was charged of all the treasure of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He probably had a huge entourage of people with him, but yet he was already a searching man. He was a prominent man. He was, he was looking for some answers from the scriptures, and as he read, he, he wasn't getting anything. He had already went to Jerusalem and was now going back to Ethiopia. This was his last chance for, for Philip to be in the right place as God had called him and directed him and guided him. But all that happened only because Philip said yes. Because Philip answered the call. And because Philip was a man that was in a place where when God called, he was able to answer and be used of God because he was already serving. He was already doing what he was supposed to be doing. And look at verse number uh, 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And verse 35, I love verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. How many people in our life has God placed in our lives specifically for the purpose that we would just open up our mouth and preach unto them Jesus? How many times in my life have I not opened my mouth and preached Jesus when I should have? How many times in my life has there been opportunities where God put me in the right place at the right time where he'd already been working in that person's heart and instead of preaching Christ, 
I talked about something else or just turned and walked away altogether. And I missed the opportunity to be used of the Lord because I didn't open my mouth and preach Jesus. Verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. It's an amazing story of the gospel, of how the gospel worked in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch who was just ready to be saved, who was ready to trust Christ, even though he wasn't from Jerusalem. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't know all the details. All he knew was that as he was reading the scripture, he was searching for something, and he hadn't found it yet. But as Philip explained the gospel to him, as Philip took what it was that he was reading it and showed him how Christ had come to this earth to die on the cross for his sins, and that all he had to do was trust him by faith, Philip was just in the right place at the right time and was able to be used of God and this eunuch, he didn't know that this eunuch was ultimately going to take the gospel to Ethiopia. He didn't know all that. All he did was just say yes to the Lord. And he said, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both the Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the, Philip of the, Lord caught, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. That the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But look at verse 40. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip didn't just say, all right, I led the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. I'm done. I did my job. As he went down now into these other cities and other places, what was his testimony? He continued to preach the gospel. He continued to tell people about Jesus. He didn't just stop doing what it was that he knew he was supposed to be doing. So where are you at this morning? Are you accomplishing the purpose that God has for your life? Are you doing what it is that God has called you to do? God worked out all the timing. God worked out all the details. Philip just simply had to say yes. So what is it in your life that God is calling you to do? Is God calling you to trust him as your savior today? Is God calling you to, to, to give today? Is God calling you to serve today? Is God calling you, maybe there's a specific person on your heart this morning that you know God wants you to be a witness to that you just haven't yet. What is it that God is calling you to do? I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. But all of us have the, the decision of whether or not we're going to pick up the phone. Are we going to answer what it is that God is calling us to do? And we'll close with this quote. Not called, did you say? Because there's a lot of people that just say, well, I'm not called to do that. And there's a lot of things in the Christian life you don't have to pray about. God's already called you to do. We don't need to pray about whether we should, we should uh, love the Lord. We don't need to pray about whether we should be a witness. We don't need to pray about whether we should read God's word. All, those are all things that we know we should be doing. But not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful will for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Will you, call, will you pick up the phone when God calls? Will you pick up? Will you answer when God calls? Are you ready to answer? Let's pray. Dear Lord God, as a pastor comes to close out this invitation, Lord, I pray that you help each of us, God, whatever it is you're calling for this morning. God, I don't know every, I don't even know the name of every person in here, Lord. We're just here for this week, and we're thankful for the opportunity, God. But every person in here, you're calling each of us to something. There's something in each of our lives that you're desiring us to do that we just haven't answered the phone yet. We haven't picked up the phone. And God, whatever it is in the life of each individual, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to hearts individually this morning, Lord. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to simply just trust you by faith and, and uh, get their salvation settled. 
that you've been calling, you've been leading, God, you've been directing, and they just haven't gotten that, that done yet, Lord. And, God, maybe there's somebody here like that today. Maybe there's someone who you're, you're leading in the area of, of service. Maybe there's somebody who you've been working in their heart about uh, serving in the church, and they just haven't picked up the phone and answered yet, Lord. Maybe there's somebody about uh, surrendering to the mission field or surrendering to preach that you've been calling, and you've been, you've been wanting them to surrender, and they just haven't yet. God, whatever it is in each individual heart, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to hearts, Lord. It could be about, uh, there, there's many, many different things that we could, we could think about this morning that you could be calling us to. But God, the answer really lies with us is whether or not we're going to pick up the phone. Whether we're going to have the testimony of Abraham's servant in Genesis 24 where he just simply said, I being in the way the Lord led me. If we just do what it is that we know we're supposed to be doing. God, as, as pastor comes, we'll, we'll close out this uh, invitation this morning. all heard the word of God. We've all been challenged. We've all been helped this morning. We need to answer the phone. God's calling. And the Lord always calls and he calls us from where we are to where we need to be. God will never lead you to do something against his will. God never leads you to rebel against a parent. God never leads you to rebel against a God-given authority. God never leads you to rebel against his word. God always leads us to follow and obey his word. Maybe there's some area in your life this morning you just say, Lord, I'm going to listen. I'm going to answer the call. I remember when God called us to Granville, New York. I'm glad we came. And I'm glad that we're staying. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad for each of you. Aren't you thankful we get to be together in this room serving together? You've heard the call to come here. We've heard the call to come and be part. And God's raising up laborers in this place. And this afternoon's all about that. Some young men who've labored in this place, who've loved in this place, you're going to be preaching, and we thank God for that. But maybe this morning as we stand, you just say, Lord, I want to answer your call. Maybe God's calling you to do something you haven't obeyed. Would you stand together? Let's all stand together. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, you say, you know what, Pastor Dan, it's been a long time since I've been down the aisle. It's been a long time since I prayed like that. But today I need to listen to the call. God's calling, and I want to obey. You say, I'm afraid he might call me to be a missionary. My friend, if God calls you to be a missionary, he'll enable you. If God calls you to simply love your neighbor, we've all been called to do that. He'll enable you. God has a call for you. God has a purpose, and you know what it is. He may have impressed it upon your heart during the message this morning. Would you take a moment, maybe you haven't come forward and prayed in a while, and you just say, you know what, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to help me with this today. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, as the live stream closes out, would you just take a moment to respond to the Lord this morning? Would you come forward? Would you do business with the Lord? Would you ask the Lord, Lord, I, you've called me, Lord, I want to follow. Say, I don't know where, that's okay. I don't know what, that's okay. Some have come. Maybe God's still speaking to you. Would you come? Would you come respond to the Lord? Maybe the Lord's calling you to be saved. You've not put your faith in Christ. You know about the gospel. You haven't trusted it yet. You need to repent and follow Christ. Would you respond to him today?